Let's turn to, we'll start in Romans 7 and go to Romans 8. As in Romans 8, probably where we're going to finish up most of it. Okay, Romans 7. Uh, Find a page I won't. Uh, what happened to the Pew Bible? Well, that looks like one. I thought maybe you had it memorized by now. Seven, Romans seven. Uh, Paul starts off in Romans 7 saying, Since I'm speaking to those who understand law, brothers, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he, is, he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Then if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for allowing us to be here again today and having fellowship together, worshiping together. Lord, may uh, what we do in our hearts today in our relation to you be pure and clean. God, may you take it as our offering of worship to you. We pray that you would guide us as we study your word together. Uh, lead us to understand your truth. And we give you the glory for all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Y'all probably uh, have heard and still hear and uh, probably will go to our grave hearing that this passage of Scripture is about uh, women remarrying, but that's not really what it's about, is it? If you look at it, uh, that's, not, that's not what uh, the, the passage is really about. Uh, the, the passage is, uh, I think, has to do with uh, with a woman being uh, married and staying that way uh, as long as her husband is alive. It's something that people certainly need to hear today. Uh, and the only way she can be released from that is by her husband's death, which uh, <laughs> there'd be a lot of damn men <laughs> in the world today if that were true. I mean, if, if people believe that, for sure. Uh, the... Uh, the husband is, uh, when he's still living, if a woman uh, gets married again, according to this, uh, she is an adulteress. And that's, that's the, the part that we today in, in our day and time seem to focus on is that part, uh, that uh, we, we want to lay all the blame on the woman if she gets remarried while her husband's still alive. Well, sometimes, folks, what, what does a woman do if her husband is dishonoring her and commits adultery and they get divorced, and she's on her own, but he's still alive. Can she not uh, 
find a place to be taken care of and find a, a husband and another family maybe. I, there's some tough questions in the scripture that uh, are difficult for us to answer. And the best thing to do is just for a man and woman not to get divorced. I mean, when, you know, if we believe what the scripture said and when a man and a woman was joined together, the scripture says, let no man separate. Only God has the authority to do that. If we would understand that, we'd have a whole lot less problem than we do. Uh, but uh, as, we, as we move through all of this and uh, get over into, uh, well, part of the rest of the chapter, uh, it talks about our relationship to the law. And this law concerning the, the women, we, we hear a lot of in our teaching in our pulpit today. Uh, what, uh, according to the scripture, is our relation to the law? What, uh, what is our relationship to God's word? Uh, if you look uh, at verses 1 through 6 in that, uh, you'll, you'll see uh, what we're, let me go back to verse 4 and we'll start from there and go down through verse 6. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah. Now you see what, what the emphasis of this passage on the, uh, the woman getting a, a divorce is. Uh, Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah so that you may belong to another. Folks, when we get saved, the old body is put to death, technically, I mean spiritually, and we are free then uh, to be joined with Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're no longer joined to the devil. That's the focus of this passage of Scripture. It's not really about uh, women being married, men being married and divorced. That's not really what it's about. It's, that was the law in uh, their time. The Hebrew law was what was quoted here. But Paul uses it to make this truth stand out that a man when he gets saved is no longer bound to the devil. Now, we need to tell a lot of folks that today. You know, I, I, how many times have y'all heard a Christian say, well, the devil made me do it? Huh? The devil don't make us do anything, does he? Not if we're saved, the devil doesn't make us do anything. Well, and he really can't make us, make us do anything when we're not, not uh, the Lord's and, and belong to him, huh? Uh, we uh, we need to understand what uh, what the Scripture teaches us about these things, and how uh, sin uses the law. Sin uses the law of God to uh, bring to mind the, the penalty of our, our sin, uh, and also it tells us about God's reprieve in Jesus Christ. God provided a mean, means for all of us to be born again. And uh, we have a new relationship to the law. Uh, the law is, is an instrument to reveal our sin to us. If it weren't for the law, we wouldn't know that we were sinners. We're so ignorant. 
you know, we think everything was all right. I mean, we know a lot of people in the world who lost people. They, they go about doing things that they consider to be okay. That's all right. You know, uh, it's not uh, sinful. And that the law brings our attention to the sin. Uh, and uh, because it brings and reveals sin to us, it activates that sin in us. You take a little one. I use these little ones for examples because they don't know. You take a three-year-old, he doesn't know not to stick his finger in a receptacle, electrical receptacle. He doesn't know. If he does that, what's going to hurt him, isn't it? Or maybe kill him, and he doesn't know. But when he gets older, and mama and daddy keep telling him, don't do that, don't do that, it's not good for you, it's going to hurt you. Uh, when he sticks his finger in there and he gets hurt, he won't do it again. Will he? Well, that's the, the law does that for us, should do that for us as Christians. It, it's like sticking your finger in a socket. When we're sin, well, to be hurt by it in our heart of hearts and not do it anymore. But, folks, we have a Christian, Christian, in quotes, community today that sees nothing wrong with doing the same wrong things over and over again. Don't we? Seems like we do. Uh, I grew up in the Delta, too, just on the other side of the river. I want to tell you something. There's some hooligans in the Mississippi Delta. I don't know whether y'all got any hooligans over here or not. But we got some over yonder. Uh, and they just, <laughs> I hate to confess, but <laughs> I was part of them. We just do the same things over and over again. And knowing it was wrong because we were convicted of it, we knew it was wrong. Uh, law, the law brings the recognition of how bad our sin is to us. That's why it's so important for people to know the law and to be in church. Take an old sinner out there and never darken the door of the church. He doesn't, he doesn't care that what he's doing is wrong. He doesn't know that what he's doing is wrong. The law makes us recognize when we come to a knowledge, saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. The law leads us to a recognition of the depth of our sin and how bad it is. And folks, that's, that's why we see people get saved, go to the altar today just brokenhearted, weeping. It's, it's not because they're hurt physically, but because their soul's hurting. They go with those tears of sorrow because of what they've done to God. You know, and we as Christians, we ought to be aware of the same law and the law that we break at the same time. It ought to bring recognition to us to the magnitude of our sin. And, you know, the world has a tendency to put a put a, uh, a label on sin, some being little sin, some being big sin, some being worse than others. You know, in God's eye, dirt, dirt. You know, my, when I went in from playing in, in, the, in the mud outside, uh, mother didn't care if it was red clay or black delta dirt. She didn't care what color it was. It was nasty. And Terry's fixing to get a scrubbing from head to foot, clothes and all. Uh, that's just that's the way it was. Well, I, when God looks at us, it doesn't make any difference whether we consider it a little sin or a big sin. It's still dark to Him. It's black. 
And we need cleansing. We need a good scrubbing spiritually to get rid of that. Now, we don't recognize that sometimes in our church anymore. Used to. I can remember when I was a young fella and a teenager growing up in church. Every Sunday, it seemed like, we'd have four or five people go to the altar just brokenhearted. And uh, after a while, you know, I got to wondering, well, why don't they quit doing that if it's, if it's so bad on them? But, folks, that's our nature. We're just sinful by nature. And some people feel compelled to go before the Lord to seek forgiveness. We don't have to go to an altar in the church to do that. Uh, there's, a, there's a definite conflict that exists between us and the law. Paul talks about our two natures in, in this in seventh chapter. Uh, if you'll uh, look at the verse 22, I think. Uh, let me get on it. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the labor pains until now. And not only that, we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, we realize how horrible we are, and we don't like to think about that because it brings us to the point of seeking reconciliation with God. Uh, the, uh, the believer's got the power to overcome sin. That's a wonderful thing about it all. We have the power to overcome sin. How? Through Jesus Christ. When we recognize our sinful condition and, and go to the Lord, and I, I don't know what y'all have, I know I have, I have a different perspective on the, the crowd from y'all. I'm, I'm facing everybody, and I can see the Holy Spirit just pounding on somebody sometimes, you know, and, and y'all can't see that. But I can see just the broken hearts that God causes in the congregation sometimes, and people won't do anything about it. They just won't get up and admit it and walk uh, before everybody and admit what kind of a sinner they really are. Um, Paul talks about in, in chapter 7 the two natures, uh, the nature of sin and the nature of the law that wages war within us. And uh, he also talks about the believer's power. Uh, in verses 24 and 25, he talks about that power. Now, in this hope... We were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. That, to me, that's uh, a reference, uh, in, maybe in a roundabout way, but a reference to works. If, if we rely on things that people can see and we can see to do and make ourselves right with God, and we're, we're missing the point. The relationship with our Father is spiritual. And nobody can see that except God and us. And what, what we do ought to have to do with the things of the Spirit and getting right with God spiritually. Uh, our flesh wages war, uh, as it were. Uh, Paul says here in, in this chapter, our Spirit wages war with God, and uh, this God is so gracious and so wonderful. He's given us 
the ability to realize the need for confession and to repent. Now, husbands and wives uh, and children and parents uh, all need to understand uh, a little bit about this uh, recognition and the need to repent. Folks today don't see the need to go to God and say, I'm sorry, because of our own pride and who we are. We don't think we do anything wrong. Y'all know people like that. You've seen people young and old. They don't think they've ever done anything wrong. I don't, why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to get saved? Why do I need to repent? I have never done anything that is bad enough for me to require or to ask repentance or to ask God to uh, forgive me of my sin. We've got a whole world full of people like that. And unfortunately, we've got churches that are uh, full of folks like that too uh, that uh, don't recognize their sinful condition. Men's lives have foundations. In chapter 7, Paul talks about the pillars of foundation. And uh, we need to understand that we're built, the scripture says we're built on a rock. Now, when we get into talking about foundations and, and building on a good, firm foundation. We need to understand how important that is. If you build it on what the scripture calls shifting sand, it's not going to do a lot of good to build anything on shifting sand. Uh, I mean, we're, we're akin to enough of that in the Delta. <laughs> Our dirt moves. Um, we can build a house or, or anything, and uh, it won't be long before the foundation cracks. Uh, and, you know, if we build a driveway and, and don't do certain things to it, it won't be long before it's cracked, sure enough, uh, much less the house and the foundation on the house. Uh, we've, we're familiar with the shifting sand and the shifting dirt, and that, that happens, and Paul talks about it. He knew it. And uh, in the eighth chapter uh, of Romans, Paul talks about what happened in chapter 7, and we're going to face tough times. Our lives are just full of tough times. And uh, we get hurt by different people in different ways, by our own family, by friends, by people we don't know. We get hurt. We open ourselves up to that pain uh, sometimes. And, and uh, God knew that we would have these hard times. And he spoke to us so that our minds and hearts might find hope and peace. Look at chapter 18. I'm in chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's son, sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. Folks, 
even the creation, even God's, we call them inanimate things, the trees and the plants and the animals, everything moans and groans for this newness of life, if you will. Uh, can you think about what the Garden of Eden must have looked like? Think about a, a garden or a forest. We're familiar with forest and, and a lot of vegetation and plants. Can you imagine what that forest would have looked like without any undergrowth, any weeds or uh, wild things growing, or without trees dying and falling and making a mess and getting in everybody's way and stuff like that? God created perfection, and he, he, he made it so that man could live in perfection. And Adam and Eve, when it talks about Adam and Eve tending the garden, what did they have to tend? I don't think they had to do anything much but pick fruit. Everything else was perfect. They didn't have a whole lot of weeds and stuff in the way. God made the garden perfect. But then they sinned and listened to the devil. That's... <laughs> The scripture who Paul's talking about here in Romans. They listened to the one that they shouldn't have and did something that was not good. Um, our current sufferings today will be relieved only by God's revelation of his glory at his second coming. Look at verse 18 in chapter 8. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is coming that is going to be revealed to us. He's talking about God's glory. I mean, Jesus' glory coming. Uh, we have to put up with a lot of things while we're here on this earth confined in these physical bodies. <laughs> Y'all put up with a lot of stuff every week. I mean, I'm <laughs> I usually encounter one or two people I'd like to just pinch their little heads off <laughs> in a week's time. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I... I've, I see people like that on a pretty regular basis that say and do foolish things in to me and <laughs> against me and other people and everything else. I like to just grab them up and pinch their little heads off, you know. Uh, that wouldn't be too nice either, would it? I'd be yielding to that same temptation. Uh, sin, huh? I'm sure glad you ain't God. No. Sin messed up God's creation, in case y'all hadn't figured that out. Yeah. Look at verses 19 through 21 over there in, in uh, chapter 18. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. Uh, listen, verse 22 continues and said, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. God's creation looking forward to the return of Jesus. Now, folks, if inanimate objects like trees and uh, rocks and things like that and, and uh, animals that uh, we see running around that don't have souls and intellect are longing for the return of Jesus. Don't you think we as 
so-called intelligent human being with spirit in us ought to long for the return of Jesus? I just wonder how many of us really look forward to the day when he comes. I, <laughs> I pray, I guess because I'm scared to die, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, it, it's not, not the, the death part of leaving this world and going to another. It's just the means of dying. You know, I'm, as, a, as a minister, and I'm sure you have too, you've seen a lot of people uh, suffer horrible death. And uh, I, I just, I'm not real anxious about going through that. But uh, I, the things that we fear, we need not fear. I pray regularly to be alive when Jesus comes back because of that, that dread to face death. If, if I'm alive when Jesus comes back, the scripture says I'm going to be caught up with uh, the, the folks that the graves are going to burst open and they're going to go first. And I'm going to be caught, if uh, alive and remain and believe in Jesus, going to be caught up with them in the air. Now, won't that be a glorious thing? <laughs> that got to be a hoot. And I, I'm, I'm praying for that because, hey, I might faint to begin with, see them graves pop open and all them dead people rise. You know, that might scare me half out of my wits, but look, in the next moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up with them to meet Jesus in the air. And look, all of this stuff about being dead and being resurrected, it's going to take a back seat when we look up to heaven and see Jesus. Nothing else is going to matter. There's my Lord. I'm going to be with my Lord. I can't imagine the millions of people who have died in Christ going to be with him at the same time. How in the world are we going to be close to him? Look, he's God. He can be in every one of us at the same time. How in the world are Christians here close to God? He is in us trying to get us to do the right thing. Every one of us who has believed in him as our Savior lives in Jesus and Jesus in us. It's just a change of location, folks, when we die. When Jesus comes back, it's just a change of location. Nothing else. We're still going to be with him. Verse 23 says, the saved, As the saved, we have the Spirit as the first fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In the hope of our adoption, waiting eagerly with patience, the Spirit joins to help us pray. In our weakness, we don't even know how to pray. The Spirit helps us know how to pray and what to pray for as we look forward to the coming of Jesus. And the Spirit makes intercession, verse 27 says, the Spirit's intercession will be from heart, from our heart to the Lord, asked by Him, the Spirit, in the right way. <laughs> we don't even know what to say or how to say it in the right way. We can try, stumble and mumble. I don't know if y'all ever stumble and mumble in your prayers or not. I, I feel like I'm, I'm not making any sense at all, but uh, we have a, a Spirit, a Holy Spirit, that takes that prayer and, and makes it... Uh, intelligible to God. In uh, verse 28, 
It's a great verse. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Everything, hardships, those things that are not so hard, those things that are blessings, everything works together for good for us. Verse 29 said, God knows, has known since before any person was born of man who would trust to be saved and who would not. This is predestination, God's foreknowledge. There are a lot of people that need to read these verses right here. There are a lot of people that need to understand what Romans chapter 8 says about predestination. What is predestination? Look there, look there in verse 29 again. God knows, has known since before any person was born of man, who would trust to be saved and who would not. This is predestination. God's foreknowledge. God knowing everything is predestination. God doesn't cause people to be lost. God doesn't condemn people to hell. Men choose that end. And God knew it before he ever made them what they would choose. That is predestination. God's foreknowledge is predestination. You hear a lot of these religions talking about people, these people being condemned. God, look, how many people have you heard of by some of these preachers, so-called, that have God has created to spend eternity in hell? Now, you listen to some of these health, wealth, and whatever kind of preachers. I don't know who all they are, but they, t- they talk about people being born people being created by God in order to exist in eternity in hell, and that's not right. God doesn't do that. God created man to have an existence with him. Adam and Eve were in the garden in perfection with God. What happened? This one here that is mentioned that that came along and enticed them to sin messed everything up. God had created them and put them in perfection. Satan messed up the work. God didn't do it. Now, why God didn't zap that sucker before all of this started, I don't know. You reckon we'll get to ask him one day? I think we're going to be brave enough to ask God why he made Satan. We're going to be so tickled to be in glory. I don't think we're going to have too much else on our mind for several million years. But folks, according to what the scripture says, it's God's foreknowledge that is predestination. God didn't create anybody to go to hell. He didn't do that. He created everybody to have a relationship with him uh, in heaven, in Christ. That's exactly what he did. Man messed it up. Let's just get down to it. Man messed it up because man had a choice. Old Satan walked up to Eve with that pretty little apple and said, don't you want to take a bite of that? Let me get over here to Eve. Excuse me. (laughs) I'm fixing to blame it all on Herschel. (laughs) I better get away from you too, hadn't I? (laughs) Look. Can't you just imagine that beautiful creation called Satan sidling up to Eve in all her radiant glory, 
God's creation and perfection of womanhood and said, don't you want a bite of that? You take a bite of this, you know what? You're going to be just like him. That is our temptation today in sin and not sin, to be just like him. We take it upon ourselves to be greater than God when we decide to sin because he said don't do that. When we say I'm going to, we elevate ourselves to a position higher than him and that's what he doesn't like and that's not what he's going to accept into heaven one of these days. Verse 28 says, we say again, not all things work together for the good of those. Not, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to their purpose. God knows and has known before any person was born of man who would trust to be saved and who would not. God knows it's already written down. You hear preachers sometimes say, is your name written in the book of life? Well, if you're intended to go, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's already there. If you are going to spend eternity with God in heaven, your name's already in the book. Well, I see some people that claim to have their name written in the book that act like hellions. Well, I want to tell you something. God knows whether you're a liar or not. And that's God's decision, not anybody else's. Folks, man, woman, boy, girl, doesn't make any difference. Sinner or saint, we are supposed to love them all and share with them the love of God all the time because that's what God intended us to do as his children. Folks, there's a lot of good word in, uh, in the book of Romans. And we uh, continue to go through this. We're going to get to Romans 9 next week. And hallelujah. What a book that is. Uh, what a good chapter in a book. Romans chapter 9. Uh, look, let's leave here with the notion that God loves us. He wants the best for us. He sent Jesus to die in our place that we might have eternal life. That's a praise, folks. That's a praise for our Lord and our Savior. I'm glad I got him. Be glad you got him. If you hadn't got him, see me after church. <laughs> see Herschel. Anybody. We'll just get you on the right road if we can. Okay. Let's stand and uh, we'll have a word of prayer. Be dismissed. Appreciate y'all being here. I don't mind moving back here.